You're listening to WCAT Radio, your home for authentic Catholic programming. Hello and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. My name is Ray Gerard. With me today is my co-host, Mr. Bob Hennigas. Bob, thank you for being here again. Always good to be with you, Ray. Glad to see you. So what have we got for you this week? We have a program entitled A Moral Murder. Now, I could say amoral murder, the lack of morality. And in fact, I guess that's kind of what we're talking about. But no, instead, the title is A Moral Murder. Three words. What are we talking about? You know, this program actually this week is going to be a good test for us. Because St. Paul's Letters to America is based on the idea that if St. Paul were alive today and were watching what's going on in America and was going to write a letter to us or maybe send us an email um, and you know, send us some kind of a message that he thought would be important for us to hear, we can pretty much tell now what he would, what he would tell us because his words would be the same today as they were thousands of years ago because he spoke things that are timeless. He spoke things that don't change from place to place, from, you know, decade to decade, century to century. These are truths that do not change. Because why? Because they're in line with uh, the objective morality, the laws and rules, the the principles uh, for our lives uh, that come from God. And so the reason why our program today is, is going to be a good test of this thesis, if you will, about St. Paul, is that um, for the program, we ended up picking a story in the, in the news and then just took the reading from this, this upcoming Sunday's Mass and just put the two together and just compared the two. So basically, the... The you know the the test the little test we're going to engage in on this program is you know are there truths in any reading of St Paul which you could find and then apply to any circumstance I mean if St Paul's writings are tied to the ultimate truth um, you know the core of, of all reality then that should be the case you should be able to find something in all these in any one of his writings that contains a truth that would be useful in some ways, you apply it to any situation. And so we're going to try and test that out. And how are we going to test that out? Well, the story that really, I think, caught our interest this week was a story about a professor from the University of Rhode Island who basically said it's okay to commit murder in the streets of a modern American city as long as you're killing somebody you, you've judged to be a fascist. If the person's a fascist, then you can just go out and shoot them on the street. It's okay. Now, maybe that's a problem. Maybe that poses uh, you know, questions for our society. How can you have a civilized society that's going to you know, coexist with, you know, or people are going to coexist with other people? if certain groups of that society think they have the right to go out and just shoot other people because they deserve it. And maybe, you know, if enough people from one, you know, certain ideological persuasion feel that way, well, maybe the people on the other, another ideological persuasion will be get tired of getting shot at and think, well, it's okay to kill the other people. And then we'll have just a nice fi- final time in the country. 
Well, apparently there's a professor in the University of Rhode Island who thinks that's okay. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, let's take this reading from St. Paul and see if we can make this work in regard to that story. Reading was originally written to the Romans. None of us lives for oneself, and no one dies for oneself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this is why Christ died and came to life, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So, that's a nice, you know, fine, uh, deeply theological writing from St. Paul. Christ is Lord of the living and the dead. He died and came to life so that he could be Lord of the dead and the living because life is not spoken of here by St. Paul in terms of earthly life, human life, but it's eternal life. It's the last day life that we'll have, hopefully, with Christ. How can we apply that to our situation? I don't know. Bob, do you think it's going to be a stretch? I sort of have the feeling we might be able to get a little <laughs> closer than the stretch. I, I, I truly believe that, uh, that that's what's going to happen. <laughs> so let's take a look at what our, our friendly professor from, uh, from the University of Rhode Island said. He had a blog post in which he said, why was Michael Raynall killed? Now, Michael Raynall was a man who shot another fellow named Jay Danielson in uh, Portland, Oregon. And what has come out, there's, um, you know, we've got security cameras uh, everywhere these days. And as it turns out, there was a security camera in the area where, in which the shooting took place. And while it didn't have a snapshot of exactly the moment of the firing, it had snapshots from a second or two before and a second or two after. And what they show is that this, this fellow, this Michael Raynall, was basically hiding behind, uh, was hiding in some kind of alcove. He was hiding out of sight. And there are two people, and they're just walking down the street. And so then what he does is he comes out from behind this obstruction and just shoots them, and just shoots them. Um, so uh, what did our, you know, so it's an ambush. It's an ambush. Um, and they didn't have any guns. They weren't doing anything menacing in any way. They couldn't have scared him in any way. Um Maybe he thought they would do harm to him. Nothing along those lines. Yeah. I mean, they're walking down the street. So anyways, so our professor then says, you know, I'm extremely anti-conspiracy theory, but it's not a conspiracy theory at this point in time to wonder if the cops simply murdered him. Now, this blog post is entitled, um, Why Was Michael Raynall Killed? Now, Michael Raynall, as we said, is the person involved in the shooting. And then what happened to Michael Raynall after that? Well, he went up to a place called Lacey, Washington, which is about 148 miles north, trying to evade the police, but the police caught up with him. And as, you know, there are different reports about what happened. Uh, but according to the police and multiple eyewitnesses, he pulled a gun on the police. And so they they fired and, and shot him. He could have surrendered, uh, but obviously, you know, here's a man who he was involved in multiple, in, in the months leading up to this incident in Portland, in June and July, you know, he was involved in multiple, you know, brushes with the police and, and brawls and fights with other people. And then he goes to Portland, shoots this other guy, and then he goes up to Washington and shoots, tries to shoot it out with police, apparently. So that's who this, this fella is, at least this, in this particular, you know, time in his life. 
And um, and so uh, a professor, the professor's name is Eric Loomis. Mr. Loomis thinks, well, he's commenting on how Michael Raynal came to be shot by the police. And he says, uh, it's not a conspiracy theory at this point in time to wonder if the cops simply murdered him. The police, the, the police is shot through, I don't know, but his grammar doesn't seem so good for a college professor, but... The, and this is coming from his his blog post, so this is this is not like you know someone you know speaking. This is you know written material. But anyways, well, maybe he's an engineer, or a mathematician, <laughs> and in his English isn't so he did better in math and science in English. He said uh, the police is shot through with fascists from stem to stern. It's nothing like judging with a broad brush. They were openly working with the fascists in Portland, as they were in Kenosha. So now you know this. Um, Jay Danielson, who was shot, he's a fascist. The police in Kenosha, they're fascists. The police in Fort Portland, they're fascists. We have a lot of fascists running around. Anyways, um, in a in this blog, in this blog that he's got, there's a comment section, and somebody was was trying to, uh, have, uh, you know, I guess question what what uh, Loomis was saying, and he called him by his first name. He said, um, Eric. He shot and killed a guy. So then Professor Loomis responds, Reynold killed a fascist. I see nothing wrong with it, at least from a moral perspective. I see nothing wrong with it. He killed a fascist. I see nothing wrong with it from a moral perspective. He adds, in moral terms, murder is okay. It is a moral murder, according to this professor. So we are allowed, according to Professor Loomis, to actually murder someone if we think they're a fascist. So instead of having trials and appeals and all those things that typically surround the death penalty, if someone is a fascist, it is completely moral to shoot them down. Apparently so. Apparently so. So the, I guess the next the question that immediately begs itself is, well, if this is okay from a moral perspective, what is Professor Loomis's moral perspective? Which, you know, interestingly enough, brings us back to St. Paul. Uh, what is there a difference in morality between the morality of Mr. Loomis and the morality of St. Paul? How can you ever say, ever, 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 say it's okay to kill someone? I mean... There are times when people will say, well, in self-defense, that is justified. That, in fact, is a, is a principle that the, the church recognizes. But when, ever, 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 can you say it's okay to kill somebody simply because you decide it's okay to kill them? Because of a political view or a ideological view, somehow that's okay to kill because of, uh, because of that sort of belief. I guess. I mean, I don't understand it. I frankly, I frankly really do not understand it. I cannot imagine. I really have a hard time imagining what, in fact, is the moral perspective that somebody comes from. How can they think themselves, declare themselves, take pride in being, take pride in themselves being moral if you can sanction this kind of activity? Well, Ray, almost the entire history of the United States is breaking away from from a, a king 
that was basically holding them for ransom, telling them, send me all your money and all your goods and that sort of thing. And you, you do that because I set you up as colonialist. And we moved away from that. But we immediately believed that people had freedom of speech and certainly couldn't be murdered for their political view. And it's been that way since the beginning of our country. Yeah. You, you cannot murder someone simply because of political belief. You can disagree with them. You can argue with them. You can get mad at them, but you can't harm them in some way. I mean, the early American revolutionaries, um, you could say, um, agreed with the idea of war, and war itself is immoral. And you can... That can be a healthy debate, but that would be a debate for another time. What the, what the American revolutionaries didn't do, what they never did, was say it was okay to assassinate the British governors. The, you know, I mean, you know, it was there was a war where uh, you know, soldiers that were armed on both sides clashed, and you know that's different from a situation where somebody has a gun and somebody doesn't have a gun. It's different. You can argue about whether or not, even when soldiers both have when, when soldiers on both sides have guns, whether or not it's a, whether or not it's moral for them to be shooting at each other, and that's a legitimate question. Whether or not war is ever moral, I mean, I, I think certainly, you know, you know, war is never never a good and and, and in a lot of ways moral thing. Uh, but you know, if there's a question about that. How can there ever be even the slightest question that it's certainly wrong when somebody has a gun and somebody doesn't? That's just deciding to take a life. I will kill you. For their political beliefs. It's not like he was robbing him to gain money. He just didn't like the political belief, and he therefore shot him for it. So... And that brings up another issue. I mean, it's, so it's it's your beliefs. So I disagree with you. So I kill you. And if that's the case, then there there goes the whole idea of freedom of speech. And if that goes out the window, what goes with it? The dignity of each person, the right of each person to be free. The right of each person to be free is God given. You can't. You know, and why why should that be a problem to take away someone's right to be free? If you can take away their right to life, you you are just denying, you know, denying God, and it doesn't, you know, once you deny God in in one's in one area, why you can deny him in another? Of course, you know, we can take away your freedom, and then we can take away your right to even live. I mean, if if we can flip that around a little bit, if we can take away your right to live, we can certainly take away your right to freedom. That's the danger. For what kind of a danger is that for an entire country? It's a danger of, of of basically living in a totalitarian state, and apparently, Mr. Loomis thinks that's okay because the other people are fascists. I uh, until we began talking about this show, I wouldn't have thought anyone anyone could come up with a thought that because you disagree with someone else politically, you have a right to shoot them because of the simple case that you have a gun and they don't. It, it it would never have even crossed my mind to have a conversation that can you shoot someone for their beliefs, their political beliefs. The absolute answer would be no. I wouldn't even thought that that would be a conversation. Yet 
We seem to be in that for exactly that reason, that a person agree, disagrees with you politically, therefore you pull out a gun and, and shoot them. So this is this here's a good one. So Professor, uh, there's a professor, in, I believe he's with uh, Georgetown University, uh, Jonathan uh, Turley, and uh, he's done a little bit of research on Antifa. Now, um, Mr. Raynall, uh, the shooter in Portland, said that he is 100% Antifa. I am completely ant and Antifa. The word Antifa means anti-fascist, and so. Now you've got Professor Loomis saying, well, it's okay to kill uh, this guy, Jay Danielson, because he's a fascist. So Antifa, anti-fascist, uh, Raynal, shoot the fascists. Okay. Um, now, if you look at Antifa, as Professor Jonathan Turley has done, here's what you find. There is another professor at Rutgers University by the name of Mark Bray, wrote a book, The Antifa Fascist Handbook. That's interesting. Anyways, um, what he says in it is that the goal of Antifa is to end their politics. You take away freedom, and if you interpret to end uh, their politics, meaning, well, we're going to end it anyway, you know, feasible anyway that's necessary, then that means take away their life as well, apparently. But anyways, um, uh, Loomis, um, he said... Yeah, Loomis himself, uh, in speaking about this, said, I think the idea that violence is good if it's against our political enemies is a core part of fascism. So if you're a member of Antifa and you're anti-fascist, then what you're against is this idea that is a core part of fascism. The idea that is a core part of fascism, according to Loomis, is the idea, core part of fascism, the idea that violence is good if it's against one's political enemies. Does that sound a little ironic? Fascists are the ones who sanction violence against their political enemies. Just look at the brown shirts in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Core part of fascism. I mean, this guy, uh, Professor Loomis, is a professor of history, as, it is, as, as he is. Uh, so I guess he knows a little bit about this. And he says, and correctly so, that fascists believe in violence against their political enemies. Well, excuse me, excuse me, does it seem a little ironic, does it seem a little inconsistent that that's what they're sanctioning, that's what they're doing? A core part of what they stand for is to fight what they stand for. Does it seem a little inconsistent? You know, we've done 95 of these programs now, examining the writings of St. Paul. And they're based in this idea that his writings are consistent and they're consistent with everything else that the church stands for. They're consistent with what Catholics around the world have believed for millennia, that they cover all aspects of human life. And in all of it, there is a unity. There is there's a, a comprehensive unity. There's a consistency where things don't, you know, change from moment to moment. They don't end up, you know, butting up against something else. And then you say, well, that can't be right because you can't, if this is right, that can't be right. No. But here it is with the, with the so-called self-declared anti-fascists where they're plainly contradicting themselves in 
a direct manner. They're directly contradicting themselves. And all of St. Paul's life and all of Jesus' life are the exact opposite. I think of Jesus when he was put in front of the woman who was caught in adultery. And as wrong as it was at that time, it was the law that said that a woman found in adultery could be stoned to death. And so they brought this woman to Jesus and said, what should we do? And Jesus knelt down with the woman in front of him and began to write in the dirt. And all of them waited patiently and then pushed him again and said, what should we do? And he stood up and he looked at the crowd and he said, let whoever it is of you that is without sin may cast the first stone. And then he knelt back down in the dirt and began to sort of finger the dirt and, and dig in it a little bit. And after a while, he looked up and it was only he and the woman. Everyone else had slunk away because none of them was without sin. And he said, where have they gone? She said, I don't know, sir. And he said, well, I don't, or I'm sorry, they, she said, they have not convicted me. And Jesus said, well, I will not convict you either. Go forth and do not sin again. So the whole idea for Jesus is not to hurt anyone for what they've done wrong, but to forgive them for what they've done wrong and then go off and not sin any further. It seems to me that this is the exact opposite. You're saying someone believes in something wrong. I can therefore kill them for that. Right? How completely ridiculous and ironic is, is that, that you would have a group, group of people that feel it's somehow okay to be violent, to hurt someone's business, to burn it down, to destroy, because you don't like who they are or what they believe. Seems crazy. And of course, of course, the danger is, what if when you believe these other people are wrong, what if you're the one who's wrong in the first place? That's a little bit dangerous. Um, now, if you think this is something new for Professor Loomis, well, well, let me let's make this point. You know, people defend Professor Loomis. Even, I mean, the University Administration defends Professor Loomis because, 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 uh, a little visit of ours quote for you, but no, because um, of our First Amendment and the right to free speech. Now, excuse me, it does seem a little ironic again. It seems a little inconsistent again. I mean, the inconsistencies begin to trip over themselves. And why shouldn't they when you are proclaiming and standing for something that is so dramatically wrong, like we can kill people because we decide we can kill people? Um, so they say, well, you know, this professor, like everybody else, has the right to free speech. Now, Mr. Danielson, the one who was shot in Portland, he didn't have the right to free speech. But that's okay because he's a fascist. Anyways, um, we believe that Professor Loomis has the right to free speech, so we can't infringe on it. Now, that's very that's very bold of the university to take that stance. I mean, it's noble. It's it's proper. It stands in accord with what we believe in this country. There's only one problem with that. The problem is this. The right of free speech has never been understood to allow somebody to say, fire, 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 in a crowded theater. You can't cause other people harm. With your, your your speech, and if you cause fire, 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 you'll create a stampede, something like that. Now, people will draw the distinction between these two cases, and they will say, well, when a professor is talking on an internet blog, 
and he's debating a sociological question of when violence is okay or when it's not okay. This doesn't seem like much of an intellectual or scholarly debate when you're saying it's okay, kill the fascist pig, but nevertheless. Um, and they'll say, you know, that's very different because if you yell fire, fire, fire in a, the- a crowded theater, what's happening is you know there's going to be an immediate reaction to what you say. And here Professor Loomis doesn't know that anybody's actually going to take his words to heart and actually go out and shoot somebody. Okay, so that's where the debate breaks down. I mean, that's where the debate comes down. Well, Ray, let's let's take what, what you wrote, that Loomis is protected by others at the university and say he has a right to free speech. Not too long ago at the University of Missouri at Columbia, a professor who's known to use use funny things, comedy, in his conversations, had a Chinese student on Zoom. And when the Chinese student came on, he said, "Uh uh-oh, you should have your mask on so none of us get coronavirus. (laughs) And he was not allowed. He was doing it purely, in fact, my son had him as a professor and said he was hilarious. And he was constantly doing that to break, you know, the, the, the hard mood and to make things a little lighter. And he did this all the time. Yet the University of Missouri didn't protect him, didn't say he had a right to free speech because he said you should put your mask on. Instead, they fired him. For saying that? For saying that. And they have tape of it. And therefore, they went out and said he acted inappropriately. Because telling people to put their mask on? To put their mask on because he was a Chinese guy that that, that came on. So to me, how do we go about how do we go about saying that comedy and trying comedy is something that you can be fired for, but saying it's okay to kill is is not acceptable? I how how do how do you how do you put those together? It seems to me that we live on free speech. We have the right to free speech. We should be able to talk with one another, but that people shouldn't be being fired for comedy, and they certainly should not be pushing, killing someone because of their beliefs. So some people have the right to free speech, others don't. Uh, you know, it's just another another inconsistency here, you know. Um, now, we, so we laid out this, this line of argument where people will defend Professor Loomis because he has the right to free speech, because he's not immediately inciting somebody to violence. I've got a question about that. What if the incitement is long-term. What if there's a cumulative effect of comments of this nature that then create um, some kind of predisposition, some kind of moral laxity that leads to violence? What do you do about that? I mean, whether it's constitutional or not, whether it's illegal or not, that's one question. But the broader question is, is that good for society? Is that in keeping with how we should be acting towards other people? St. Paul has said, never let a foul word come out of your mouth. I think these are foul words. Um, and we can make the case for this, this long-term cumulative effect. Here you have Professor Loomis, who says this this year. And earlier, uh, he said something similar. It was eight years ago. It was after the Sandy Hook school shooting when he took umbrage with the NRA and he thought the Sandy Hook school shooting was to some degree or in large degree 
promoted or allowed or encouraged by the NRA. So he said, quote, uh, Wayne LaPierre, by the way, is the, he's going to talk about Wayne LaPierre. Wayne LaPierre, by the way, is the, is the pres- president of the NRA. He said, quote, I want Wayne LaPierre's head on a stick. Um, you know, he uh, he basically said that the NRA was a terrorist organization. So again, we have the justification. Mr. Danielson's a fascist. Mr. LaPierre had the terrorist organization. I judge them in this fashion. I think that's who they are. They should die. Now, originally when that happened, the university came out and criticized his comments. Well, the university faced backlash. So the university backed down. So now we have Mr. Lewis eight years later saying some, it's okay that somebody else actually did die now. Um, if enough people, and you've got this professor in, in Rutgers who we talked about earlier, and there are other people that have, other professors have made similar comments. What is the cumulative effect of those comments? Should someone have the right to say these things? It's a nice constitutional question. Okay, fine. If they want to say it, that's fine. They should say it. Should they have the right to be teaching at universities? What are they teaching at the universities? Is this man teaching young minds that it is okay to kill fascist dogs? Is that re- is that helpful in any conceivable way? This, you know, this is uh, this is what we're faced with. So. And again, going back to scripture, um, if you think uh, it's okay to hurt someone for their political belief, Jesus said, when someone wrongs you, right, take care of them, feed your enemies, watch over them, do not harm them, but take care of your enemies. And it seems unbelievable to me the contrast and stark difference here. We have Mr. Loomis and others believing that they have the right to incite violence against someone because they disagree with them. And yet Jesus tells us, and Paul tells us, to love them. Right? You might tell them the error of their ways, but you don't harm them in any way. You try to go out and help them, help them understand the error of their ways. But promoting violence, Ray, has got to be something that we should not be doing. We've got to stop that. A lawful community, a lawful country has to put violence away and talk, not to incite it, to encourage it, to nourish it, but to stop the violence and figure out how to learn to talk to one another so that we can do great things instead of throwing rocks at each other. So we, we've designed... We, we, we suggest that this program is based on the idea that St. Paul writes truths and that truths are consistent with other things that are true. They all hold together. They're not inconsistent. We've pointed out some inconsistencies in these ideas that say, hey, you know, I'm entitled to free speech. You're not. I can kill you. You can't kill me. But let's... Let's test this theory. If anybody really wants to suggest, and people have, that Mr. Loomis's comments is, should be defended, that he should not be fired, 
Um, you know, if they want to defend Professor, Professor Loomis in this way, if there's really any debate, and he certainly, Professor Loomis himself, certainly thinks that from an intellectual point of view, that what he's saying is morally justifiable. That's what he said. So if that, if anyone out there really thinks that that's a question, well, then let's look at it and let's see whether or not it holds up with this test about being consistent with other things, with other things. And we're going to do that in three ways. We're going to compare this little reading that we've got from St. Paul today and Professor Luma's ideas on three bases. The first one is this. What do you notice about this reading from St. Paul? He says, no one lives for oneself. Now, he's writing to the Romans. He could have been writing to the Americans. But he's writing to Romans, and who's this letter go to? Um, the Catholic community, presumably the Catholic community in Rome. Other believers. He did not say, none of us, you know, we, we all live for, you know, we all live for each other. Or, you know, we, you know, we're, we're all, you know, living for, you know, the rest of the people in our group. No, he said, nobody lives for oneself. It's open-ended. You know, it's, there's no limit on who we live for. We don't live for ourselves, so we live for who? Everybody. You know, the rest of St. Paul readings tells us, you know, I mean, Paul, Paul was what? He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the apostle to the, to the world, the world of unbelievers. Um, we live for everybody else. We live for everybody else. We should be living for everybody else. God loves everybody else. There is nobody that's excluded by God from his love. Um, but what about, you know, professors, you know, professors Loomis's comments? Oh, there's, you know, we definitely don't live for everybody else because certain other people are already judged. They're fascists. They're bad. They deserve to die. It is the difference. It is the difference between unity and separation. St. Paul believes in all people, um, you know, deserving to be saved by Christ. If only they'll believe, if only they'll, you know, turn to the truth. That's what he gave his life for. He spent his whole life trying to, you know, spread this message to other people. But if other people didn't believe as he did, he didn't, you know, want to go and kill them. He, there's a difference between unity and separation. There's a difference between judging and not judging. When we judge other people, we separate ourselves from other people. We're drawing ourselves apart from other people. So simply on this first basis, is it good for a society to be divided, for some people to be split apart against other people? In a word, is it okay to hate I mean, that's what's going to happen. If you draw people apart and further apart and further apart, they're going to end up really not liking each other and they're going to end up hating each other. And when you say it's okay to kill somebody because they're fascist, you've done that. You've done that. Most of us have to remember something from our childhood where we got mad at our best friend and said, I hate him. I hate her. And hopefully... Your mother hears that, or your father, and says, we don't want to hate. 
No, we might be upset with what they do. We don't like the act, but we don't hate that person, right? We we don't like what they did. We don't like the way we feel because of what we did, but we don't want to hate them. And that's that's the difference. We can not like an act that somebody performs, right? And not like what they're doing, but we don't want to judge them and decide who they are and what their punishment should be and do all of those sort of things about someone. That's what judging is. Whereas if you dislike the action, you simply tell them about that, that you don't like what they did and stay away from hate. And it seems that today we are feeling more and more that it's okay to hate someone, to go out and truly hate them to the point where you want them to die because of their beliefs, as Professor Loomis is putting forth. We've got to get away from that. We've got to get away from the point where we are judging someone and truly hate them simply because of the way they believe. We can always disagree about the way somebody thinks and disagree with them, but we don't hate them as a person. We love them as a person. So if we go around and we encourage others to hate others, we defend people who encourage hate, uh, whatever, we become more and more divided as a country. So the question is, on a very simple sociological level, is it better for a country to be united or divided? I think, you know, it, 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 it's pretty logical to think, well, it's better to be unified. Now, some people will say, well, unified in which way? If you're unified and as a country you're going down the wrong path, well, then there's a need for evolution, you need to change it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but... Can't you do change and still be united? You can if you believe in free speech and you believe and do it peace and you can believe and do it peacefully. And you believe in using reason and logic and the power of argument and persuasion. But you can if you're gonna if you're gonna use violence, because all that's gonna do is divide people. So if it's better, if that very it's very on a very simple logical level, if it's better to be unified than divided, then on this basis the difference between Saint Paul and Professor Loomis suggests St. Paul's got the better the better point of view. And that's not talking even morality or even religion or even faith. You don't even need to believe in God in any of that. It's a simple sociological, logical uh, result. Now, so that's one. Again, we're, you know, we're testing this idea. Hey, is St. Paul uh, keyed in on the truth? Is he clued in to the, you know, to the, the messages and the, the desires of God or isn't he? Is he true? Is he speaking things that are true? even if you don't believe in God or not. All right. Having looked at that from this one angle of the unity versus separation, let's try another. How about we get a little bit more personal this time. Before, we, we were talking about separation or unity in terms of an entire society. Let's make it personal. Let's take, let's take it down to the level of an individual person. Is it better, more healthy psychologically, to be afraid or not to be afraid. If you're encouraged to fear, is that where you want to be? Um, now, what do we have in the writings of St. Paul? He says, if we live or die, not afraid of death. And this is, an, this is, this is a lack of fear of death, which doesn't come with the desire to kill other people. This is not like, okay, I'm going to be a martyr, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a sacrifice where I go and I... I'm going to I'm going to be a sacrificial bomber. I'm going to 
you know, kill other people in my last gasp of dying on this earth. I'm going to take other people with me. It's not that. It's letting other people um, do violence to you. And if you have to die, that's okay. Uh, whatever happens, whatever, for whatever reason you die, there's no, you don't have to fear death. Whether we live or die. Because what does he say? He says, if we live or die. He says, no one dies for oneself. If you die to take other people with you, you're dying for your own ideas. You're dying for yourself. If you die, um, you know, no one, when Paul says no one dies for oneself, what does he also say? He says, if we die, we die for the Lord. And who, which Lord? You're talking about Jesus Christ. What do we know about Jesus Christ? He died without raising a word in anger against the people killing him. We die for that Lord. We die for that model, that instruction on how to live, that that example to imitate. That's we die for that Lord. Whenever we fear, Ray, whenever we fear, our body and our mind begins to go into decision-making mode as to whether we're safe or not and then is ready to fight and do whatever's needed for us to survive. Fear is a great thing to try to save your life, but it's a bad thing from that you might hurt other people. And Paul couldn't be more different than that. Paul is saying that you should not fear, that you should not fear death, that you should truly believe in God and get away from that same fear. He was very eloquent and put it well, as he did, as he always does, as he quotes Jesus and talks about how Jesus felt. And it is amazing to me that we can't figure that out, that staying away from fear, from anger, from those really heavy emotions, and allowing that to cause us action that is going to hurt or harm someone else. We just aren't figuring that out somehow. We continue to out, be outrageous, be provocative, and cause mayhem and bedlam in the streets instead of reaching out and trying to talk to one another, trying to chat with one another, trying to make things better for each and every one of us. We seem to miss that. You're exactly right. You're exactly on point. That, that, that fight or flight kind of response that, that you're talking about. You know, you're going to fight to survive because there's a danger to you. Well, what is Professor Loomis talking about? I mean, if you're afraid, you're either going to run away or you're going to fight, right? So, but what is, what's the prerequisite for that, for that fighting? The prerequisite in that situation is to be afraid of something. You're afraid. You know, uh, Paul's got the, 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 Paul says, don't be afraid. Then you don't have to lash out at anybody. You don't have to fight anybody because there's nothing to be afraid of. Anyways, so when Professor Loomis says he's a fascist, it's okay to kill him. What is that saying? If it's not saying we have something to fear from the fascists, because otherwise, why would there be a need to kill them? Why would you have to kill them? If they provoke, provoke, present no threat to you, if they're not going to harm your society, you know, if they're not going to, you know, make other people suffer from their racism and bigotry and whatever else, you know, you want to, you know, accuse these people of. What's to be afraid of? Why would you need to do anything at all about them? The only reason is because you're afraid of their effect on other people. That's the only reason. And you may think that that's noble because you're protecting other people. 
you know, but it's really, it's really something that comes out of fear. It's disguised as noble, but it's fear and violence. You know, and the only way you can get rid of the violence is to get rid of the fear. There is a, there is a real division, a real difference between St. Paul and Professor Loomis in terms of being afraid or not being afraid. So now on a personal level, we talked about the differences on a societal level. We talked about it on a, now we're talking a little bit about a personal level. If you just think, is it better to be, to live your life in fear or to have peace of mind? Given those two choices, you had a multiple choice question, an A and B multiple choice question. How would you rather live with fear or with peace of mind? If your answer is as, you know, you'd expect it to be, then St. Paul is right again. Wasn't it um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt during World War II time that said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself? I think great leaders recognize that. The reason is, is they want to stay away from the violence as well. They want to stay away from the fighting. They want to try to put together a society that's fruitful, that goes out and produces, that makes things that we can be happy with to enjoy our lives, to work hard, and to enjoy the fruits of our labor, or the fruit of our labor, excuse me. And Roosevelt recognized that. In fact, most great leaders do recognize that you don't want people to be afraid. You want people to be prosperous, to take care of one another, and to have good, healthy debates with each other. Yet, what Mr. Loomis is putting forth is fear. And people that are driven by fear make mistakes. They're trying to scare others into ridiculously foolish things like hurting somebody else. Just crazy. Okay, so we've talked. It is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And, you know, it's inconsistent. And so far, it does not, you know, measure up when tested against, you know, these these very objective, secular ways of examining whether or not these two different ideas are are better or or, or not uh, as good as the other. So we've talked on a societal level. We've talked on a personal level. We've avoided the question of faith, the question of God, the question of religion. Let's go there a little bit, a little bit. Here's a very simple A-B multiple choice question. Is it better to love or not love? Is it better, or phrase that same question another way, is it better to be loved or not to be loved? Which would you rather? Would you rather be loved or not be loved? No. Think, well, that's a very simple. Nobody. I mean, who, who's going to say I'd rather not, not to be loved? Of course, everybody's going to say I want to be loved. Well, if that's so, then how can Professor Loomis ever be right? He is not preaching love. Now, you're going to say, well, yeah, 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 but. No buts. Yeah, 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 but no, it is, there is one way. It is always love. If, and this is how he gets a little close to God, maybe very close to God, well, extremely close to God. God is love. If you love others, um, you will be loving God. You will be following God's way. You will be, um, you know, <laughs> God is love. Here's a simple little logical syllogism. God is love. We were made in the image of God. Therefore, we were made in the image of love. 
We're meant. To, what does that mean? If we're meant, if we're you know made in the image of love, that means we're meant to love. And if all of us did that and we loved others, then all of us would feel loved. Now you compare that to a society where you're a fascist, you die. You're, you're you know you're a radical uh, you know anti-fascist, so you die. Um, okay, so fine. We all just go around killing each other. Or we all go around loving each other. I mean, is this really a choice? And if it's not even a close choice, then guess what? St. Paul is three for three. We are formed by God to love. And then we have a choice. We can choose to love back. And that's what God does. He formed us to love, and he allows us to have that freedom, that freedom of choice to love him back. And let's be real clear. If we love him back, one, we can attain the kingdom of heaven and be with him in eternity. And two, we will then go out and take care of others with the love that we have from our Father and take care of them and help them and not harm them and love them. We will spread that love that God gave us to others. That's what St. Paul is saying. That's what Jesus said when he was here. That's what the the entire scriptures say, is God is all love, and he made us to love as well. He made us in his image. And doesn't it seem ironic that we're talking about killing or harming or hating, and somehow that's reasonable or justifiable when the one that made us would say absolutely not. It is love that we should be spreading, not harm or mayhem or violence. So people will say, yeah, Bob, okay, that that's, but, hey, Bob, Bob, what you said is fine. But in this case, in this case, these people, you know, these, these people, they, they, they're racists. You know, they believe other people are subhuman. They believe other people are not as good as they are. You know, they've got the, the, you know, the most egregiously wrong way of thinking about other people. Bob, I mean, I, I agree with you most of the time, okay? But in this case, it's different. Really. <laughs> so, we, you know, these racists think other people are less than as human as they are or what have you. So the people who proclaim that, what are they saying at the... At the very same moment they say that, they're contradicting themselves. At the very, you know, St. Paul, we say that we can take his letters that were written to the Romans and the Colossians and so on, and we can apply them to America 2,000 years later. People that are proclaiming what we're talking about, they can't avoid an inconsistency. They can't survive a test of whether they're consistent or not. From the very moment they utter, you know, this kind of a proclamation. Why? Because they're saying these people that they've judged to be bigots are not as good as they are. They're saying the very thing they're accusing them of. There's only, and what does this point to again? It points to again, the only way to avoid these inconsistencies, the only way to be consistent is to regard other people as as good, nay, Better than you are. You know, if everyone run around thinking, you know, I'm the worst sinner in the world, everybody's better than I am, everybody deserves more than I than I do, and I need to be better than to these people than they are to me, you know, you wouldn't need laws, you wouldn't need 
You wouldn't need police. You wouldn't have. You certainly wouldn't have the riots in the streets. Um, because that idea is true. The contrary idea is not. Once you start judging other people, once you believe they're not as good as you, then you create these problems. Because why? Because you're preaching something that is not true. And let's now go to this area where we do bring God into the equation. And why is it not true? Why is it that we're all just as good as everyone else? We're not the same in terms of athletic abilities. We're not the same. We're not all the same in terms of intellectual abilities. We're not all the same in terms of skills. I mean, some people are good working with their hands. Some people aren't. Some people are good growing things in a garden. Some people aren't. Take however many examples you want. You, you know, We're not the same in those ways, in these human testable ways, but we're all the same in one way. We're all the same because we're loved by the same God to the same extent. Um, that's the truth. That's where... That's where it has to begin and end if we're all going to believe that we're equal with one another and treat one another as equal. Anybody who is a bigot, is a racist, who believes in bigoted racist things, guess what? They're not believing fully uh, with their hearts and their their actions They're not, and with their lives. They're not believing fully in what Christ teaches. They may be faithful to some extent, but not all the way. If you, There's only one way to avoid all these problems, and that's to rest it with God. Rest these problems with God. If we take it vertical, not horizontal, if we point it upstairs, then we all do become the same because we're all down here and there's something up above. And um, that's where, that's the final area in which St. Paul has it right. And look, I don't know Mr. Loomis's religious beliefs I don't know if he believes in a God upstairs or he doesn't. But what I do know is that to preach hate, um, to preach moral, uh, murder can be moral, is not to be, you know, um, preaching something that is rooted in these truths that come from God. So, in any event, um, that was kind of actually an easy one to bat out of the park. Uh, and I think we have simply because anytime someone says, you know, murder is okay, has got to be wrong. But other people won't say that. And that apparently is the worst critique and criticism of the way things are that we've made yet in this program. Anyways, um, this has been another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. Uh, this has been uh, another case where we've tried to be a little provocative, tried to maybe um, help people look at something from a, an angle perhaps they hadn't looked at it before. So we hope it's been a little interesting. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you you know will join us again. Bob, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. Ever so glad to be here, Ray. Thanks for uh, allowing me to join in. All right. So, hey, why don't you do it this time? Why don't you go off for a final blessing to all the folks? May God bless you, and may God be with you every moment of every day, because the moment will come when you will truly get to join with him for the rest of eternity by simply loving him and loving all of those in this world as we are. Amen. Amen. Hello, God's beloved. I'm Annabelle Mosley, author, professor of theology, and host of Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. 
I invite you to listen in and find inspiration along this sacred journey we're traveling together to make our lives a masterpiece and, with God's grace, become saints. Join me, Annabelle Mosley, for Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. God bless you. Remember, you're never alone. God is always with you. To a production of WCAT Radio, please join us in our mission of evangelization. And don't forget, love lifts up where knowledge takes flight.